Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, most of you know I was not raised in a tradition in a church that used either the lectionary or the liturgical calendar. In fact, uh, the church community that I was brought up in uh, probably would look down upon a lectionary or a, litur- a liturgical calendar. We had this kind of idea that the Holy Spirit was always leading us into each moment and telling us exactly what to say and which passage to read. And while I believe there is a beauty to that, the longer that I have been Episcopalian, the more I appreciate the lectionary, the more I appreciate the liturgical calendar mainly because it safeguards us against choosing just a few select passages or just a few select authors or just a few select books that we pay all of our attention to and we just kind of ignore the parts that are inconvenient for us or for our faith. And so what's even more interesting, I think, is that when I became Episcopalian, I immediately fell in love with, you know, the the big feasts of the liturgical calendar. I loved the pageantry. I loved the readings. I loved the story that we walked through from Advent until Easter and then those days up until Pentecost. I loved this time where there was a clear, linear story. We read the passages in order. Everything kind of made sense. The piece that did not make sense to me originally was when we moved into ordinary time. What is that? Ordinary time. This seven-month period where we just kind of jump around from passage to passage in the Gospels, reading the quirky stories that don't really fit into the linear story or narrative that we celebrate from Advent to Easter. And yes, there is some reasoning to it, but it can feel, it can feel a little bit chaotic to us. But now, there's a piece of me that feels... Almost like I love ordinary time more than I love any other part of the year. And I love it because we get these stories that I think remind us and teach us new things about Jesus that we oftentimes forget because it doesn't fit into that larger story that we're constantly repeating. In other words, there were these other moments in Jesus' life that have something to teach us, that have wisdom, that are important that have something to say about our lives and about the society that we live in. And the gospel passage that we read this morning, well, it's a story that has something to tell us about our lives today. It is an odd passage because it is the only one that I can think of in all four gospels where someone interrupts Jesus while he is teaching that is not either asking a question specifically about the teaching that Jesus is giving, or, out of desperation, asking for Jesus to heal them or their loved one. Instead, Jesus is in front of a crowd, he is teaching, and suddenly a voice from the crowd just shouts out, Teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. It's very random. It'd be like if you shouted out right now and said, Josh, fill my gas tank, right? Like, it's... (laughs) Yes, it's a need. Yes, it's important, but, but maybe not right now. And what's really beautiful about it is we also get to see something about Jesus. Jesus has this incredibly human moment where Jesus goes, Who made me judge? Who made me arbitrator of your life, of your family matters, of this inheritance? Like, why am I even involved in this? So if you have ever beat yourself up, 
for having a very human response out of frustration. You're in good company. Jesus makes this initial remark, and then he turns his focus back to the crowd, but still addressing the man, he says this, Take care and guard your heart against all different kinds of greed. I think we should just stop right there and foot stomp that there are different kinds of greed. That is very interesting. Perhaps a whole other sermon. And he says, listen, life is about more than just gathering and amassing an abundance of possessions. I'm not sure that this hits us quite the same way that it would have hit this first century crowd, but they certainly had a belief, a mindset, that if someone had a lot of wealth, a lot of belongings, had a lot of chariots in the garage, that this meant that they were favored by God. They were blessed, like they were doing something right. This was a sign of God's favor for them. And so it would have been shocking to hear Jesus say that life is not about In fact, it's about something more than just amassing possessions. And just as relevant as that was to that first century audience, it remains relevant to us today because how often have you or I looked out and compared our life to someone else's life and we thought, if only I had those belongings, if only I drove that car, if only I lived in that neighborhood, if only I had a house like that. If only I had those kind of clothes, I would finally be happy. And we say to ourselves, I'll tell you, I've said it. What is that person doing right that I'm doing wrong? We still have this belief that physical possessions somehow, somehow equate to God's blessing. And yet Jesus challenges this audience and us to see life through a different lens. Jesus then begins to tell a story. There is a particular rich man, and this rich man, we already know he's rich. This rich man has a field that produces a great amount of crops. Now, he was already rich, which means that the field had already done well for him for years before this. But this particular year, this particular year, there was a lot of produce. And the rich man looked around and he said, Gosh, I don't have anywhere to store all this grain. Now, that wasn't true. The barns that he had had always been sufficient, sufficient enough to make him a very rich man. What he was actually saying is, I don't have a place to store all of this abundance, this extra, this surplus. And this man, if he was a real man would have known from the holiness code that there was a command from God in the scriptures that they should leave a portion of their crop to care for immigrants and refugees, for those that are traveling through orphans and widows, the sick and the homeless. There was provision in the holiness code demanding that people who followed it would take care of these kind of individuals. And this man already had enough, and yet, and yet when he looked at his situation having more than enough for himself, enough that had always been enough for many years, he chose to tear down the barns that he already had and build bigger ones so that he could hold on to all of it. And when he did this, he thought to himself, I'm finally comfortable. I can relax. I can sit back. I can rest. I can drink. I can eat. And I can be merry." And in this very moment, he felt secure, maybe for the very first time in his entire life, despite never really wanting for anything. 
because he was secure not only in the present moment, but for years in advance. There is something deep down inside of us, something evolutionary, something instinctual to us that makes us want to chase after comfort and security, not just for the moment that we are in, but for our entire future. We want to secure that, and oftentimes that drive is so high that we are willing to do that at the expense of someone else's suffering. And then the story takes a twist. Much like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Anyone familiar with that? The twist at the end. It's been 20 years. I'm going to spoil this for you. Bruce Willis is dead. He's already dead at the end of Sixth Sense. But this is the kind of twist that we get. Because suddenly Jesus says, as all of these people are listening and hearing that this man is secure, not only in this moment, but for many years ahead, suddenly Jesus says, but on that very night, on that night when the barns were built, and they were filled with all this produce, and he was eating and drinking and filling Mary. His life was demanded of him on that night. And Jesus then turns to the crowd and says, All of these things that you have prepared, one day you will be gone, and then who will these things belong to? About nine days ago, I was driving from my house over to uh, the La Cantera area. And my wife is out of town visiting family, and her car, the little indicator light, came on, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to be a really good husband, and I'm going to go and take care of this for her while she's out of town. I was feeling very proud of myself. I sat in the heat outside for about two and a half hours and got the car worked on, and uh, you know, I showed up thinking one thing needed to be done, and there were three things that needed to be done. It was quite an adventure. And as I was leaving to get back on 1604, as I was turning, I had an option to either get on the interstate or stay on frontage. And I looked at the interstate, and there were cars backed up literally as far as I could see. And I said, not today. Nope. And I decided to get on frontage. And then I felt even more proud of myself, because I was the only one on frontage. I was like, why isn't anyone else doing this? Why is no one else's GPS directing them on this path? I looked ahead of me for 300 yards. There was nobody in front of me. I looked behind me. Again, 300 yards, no, no one even close. And that's the last thing I remember thinking. Why am I the only one out here? When all of a sudden, I heard a large crash. Something had for sure collided with my car, or my car had collided with something, but there was no one around me. I could not see anyone, and I had not run over anything, and I could not figure it out. And so at the first moment I could, I pulled over on the side of the road, and I pulled into this parking lot, and I started looking around. I'm walking around my car, only everything looks perfect. There's not a dent on the car. And so then I go, oh my gosh, I just had my transmission worked on. I hope it didn't fall out on the way down the highway, maybe they didn't bolt something back on right, so I got down on the ground and I began to look underneath and it was okay. Popped my hood and everything there looked okay and I thought, well, maybe I should drive back to the dealership just in case. And as I was stepping into the car, I thought, maybe I should check the roof. And I stepped up on the sideboard of the car and I looked up and there were two huge gashes in the top of my vehicle. Now, there was no one in front of me. There's no one behind me. I was on frontage. I was not under a bridge. 
There was no blood on top of the car. It was not an animal. It looked like a brick is literally what it looked like. Something that literally fell out of the sky and struck my car while I was driving down the road. And by the way, Geico has a little tab for that if you ever get into that incident. But it caused over $1,000 worth of damage to the car. I drove home. I put in the, the, the claim. I sat down and I opened up my browser to look at the news. And the very first story that I see is a group of friends in Brazil, I believe, who were in their backyard in, a, in an in-ground pool when all of a sudden a sinkhole opened up underneath them and everyone made it out except one guy got swallowed up into the earth without any warning. I was sitting there on my couch and it felt like the sky was falling and that the ground was not safe to walk on. Now why do I tell you this? I don't tell you this to make you afraid. Just like I don't think that Jesus told this parable to paralyze his listeners with fear, but instead to put into context, to bring to a realization that our lives are fragile and finite, that you and I have nothing more promised to us than the present moment. Tomorrow is not promised, and even after church is not promised to us today. And if you want to know what the call of God is on your life, look at the person sitting to your left or to your right. You are called to see the meaning of this present moment, to live and to love right now and not wait, because tonight your life could be demanded of you. The truth is is that the challenge for us today is the same as this first century audience who heard this parable for the first time. We all experience blessing in our life, regardless of whether anyone else looks into our lives and sees it. You and I know the good things that God has blessed us with. And many times, God blesses us with abundance. And the challenge for us is when we are blessed, will we build bigger barns or will we choose to share it? Amen.